In our last session together, we um, learned that there are growing pains that are associated with spiritual life equal to and even sometimes greater than those we experience in our physical life. And uh, growing up is often a painful and awkward process as we wrestle with the child within and the uh, mature person that eventually is trying to emerge. Uh, I heard a story recently I think will help illustrate this struggle that's going on. Little Billy, when he was a small boy, was uh, really a terror. A demon would probably be a good word for him. And uh, one day he came home from elementary school. He didn't realize that the pastor of their church had stopped by to speak to his parents. And uh, rather than go inside the house, he went around the backyard to play. And as he was playing in the backyard, he saw this big, hairy, ugly rat run across the backyard and go under a bush. And he thought, man, you know, mom and dad would be really proud of me if I'd kill that rat for him. So he went and grabbed his baseball bat, grabbed the baseball bat, went over, snuck up behind this big, ugly rat, and just smacked this thing, whack, right over the head. Picked it up, stomped on it, threw it on the ground, hit it up against a tree, just started beating this thing up, dropped a rock on it. Then he pulled out this little pocket knife that he had, and he stuck it through the middle of it, and he killed it. This thing is dead. So he's all excited, man. He just killed this rat. Mom and dad are going to be really excited, really proud of him. So he goes running into the house, and he's got this rat by the tail, and it's bleeding all over the place, and it's dead as can be. And he goes running around the corner, and he sees his mom and dad kind of situated in a certain way, and he starts going, Mom, Dad, look at this. I was out in the backyard, and I found this big, ugly, hairy rat, and I grabbed my baseball bat and went over to it, and I whacked it over the head, and then I stomped on it, and I picked up a rock, and I, and I dropped it on top of it, and I picked it up, and I hit it against the tree, and then I pulled out my little pocket, and I stuck it right through it. And just then, he sees the pastor sitting there, and he gets real solemn, and he goes, and it was at that moment that the Lord called him home. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know how it is. We're all struggling. We've got that child within, and we're trying to, you know, we've we got the struggle going on. And uh, growing up can be a real awkward process. And uh, some of us are still going through it. Uh, that's why it's so important to get the, the proper guidance and support and the direction that we need. And uh, this past week, we got a note from uh, friends of ours who are on the East Coast. Her husband happens to play football for the Washington Redskins. And in, in this note, she writes, among other things, she writes this. She says, Christiana is changing every day. And it's so amazing. She said, within two weeks... She had mastered crawling and got her first tooth. She had no problems with a fever or anything. And this picture was taken in mid-October, and she has two teeth now. Henry thinks I'm a little weird because I get so excited, but I just can't stand it. She says, I went and, and I got her, and, and I went and got her first pair of stride-right walking shoes. Linda, all she wants to do is, is be standing up. She's not able to stand alone, but she's trying says, my baby is growing too fast, and I'm sad, but I'm excited to see her start cruising around on her own. We can't wait to see you all. Isn't that a great note? The perf- and, and the timing's perfect, considering what we're going to talk about today, because, I mean, she says all she wants to do is to be standing up. But she's not able to stand alone. She's trying, but she's not able to stand alone. And she goes on and says, it's sad, but exciting to see her start cruising around and wanting to be on her own. What parent cannot relate to that story? She's trying, but she can't stand alone. Before a child can walk, he or she must learn to stand. And usually it's the mom and dad who try to teach their children or child how to stand and how to balance himself or herself. And to teach her to stand, to teach him to stand. So that once he stands and he has his balance, then we know that they can start to venture out and start to walk on their own. And eventually the process, process is we learn to stand and we've got our balance. We learn to walk and eventually we learn to run. And what's fascinating to me is that's true of our spiritual lives just as well. 
because as we look at this study that we're going to go through in our, on our study through the first letter to the Thessalonians, you know, Paul identifies himself as their spiritual parent. He identifies himself as their father and as their mother. And he was their, the parent to these new believers, but unfortunately he was run out of town. And he felt he was run out of town before he had a chance to teach them to stand and to balance themselves so that they can then walk on their own. And so as he struggled with this, you put yourself in his position as a parent. He was absent from them, and he struggled with the struggles that any parent that was separated from a child would struggle with, and that is, how can I, though absent from my child or children, continue to help to support them to maintain their balance so they can then walk and then run in their relationship with God? Wow, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here that we're going to be able to take with us and apply in our life. And, uh, and that's the question, really, that he addresses. And if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, because that's really the question that's being addressed. You know, how can we as parents, in this case he's speaking from a spiritual standpoint, how can we as a spiritual parent continue to help these spiritual children, so to speak, maintain their balance or have a sure foundation so eventually they can go out and walk on their own? They can walk with the Lord, and eventually, even as the book of Hebrews says, the writer of the Hebrews says, hey, you know what, and run the race with endurance that is set before us. To stand firm in the Lord, to walk in the Lord, and then to run and be used by God in the world that he's put us in. And that's an interesting question, and that's one that he addresses as we go through this chapter. But starting with, chapter, uh, with verse 1, we'll go through the chapter, and we read this. Therefore, when we could stand it no longer... We thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. It says, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen or to establish and encourage you as to your faith. It says, So that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. It says, for this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor should be in vain. It says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. It says, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all of his saints. What a great chapter as it relates to that question of how can we help establish those around us. The key word that you see in verse 13 to understand this particular section is the word establish, to establish. And in verse 2, the word strengthen actually could be translated establish as well. So the thought behind all of this, of this is, hey, he wants to establish them. And the key thought in verse 8, if you look at that, is he says, for we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. And so really what he's going to talk about throughout this section is, is 
for all of us to take a stand or to stand firm in our walk with God. They're standing firm. Paul explained three ministries that he performed to help these new Christians become firmly established in their relationship with God. Or, better yet, how a parent can help a child stand firm and prepare them to walk in their relationship with God and eventually to run with him as well. And so there's kind of a a, a dual aspect that I want to talk about, a little parallel here between our spiritual life and also our physical life. But the important thing is we need to look at what were the three ministries that he uh, basically did to help them stand firm. The first thing is this. You notice what he does. He says he sent them a helper. In uh, verses 1 through 5, we read these words. He said, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it or stand it any longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. It says, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage or to establish and encourage you as to your faith. So the first thing that he did was he was thinking, Man, you know what? What can I do to help establish them or help them to stand firm in their faith with the Lord? He said, You know, I'm going to have to send somebody to them. You know, if you look at this, when Paul and his friends were run out of town, uh, they went to Berea, they stopped there, and the people who ran them out of Thessalonica followed them to Berea, and they caused up trouble in Berea as well. And so what Paul said, he said, look, you know what, they're really coming after me, so Timothy and Silas, I'm going to leave you behind, and you stay here in Berea, and I'm going to go on to Athens and get these guys off your back so they can follow me to Athens, and they'll follow me wherever they want to follow me. Hopefully they'll get tired of following me around and causing trouble, but if they don't, then I can leave you here, and you can continue to do the work that we've been called to do. And basically they went to Berea and Athens and Rome, and everywhere that they went, the only thing that they went there to do was what? To tell people and everybody who would listen about Jesus Christ. That's what they did. They went around the world as they knew it then and told people, listen, you know what? God's promise to send a Savior in the world has been fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so whoever would listen to them, that's what they were there to tell them. And so when they went to Berea, they were telling people about Jesus. Well, the people that followed them from Thessalonica didn't want them telling them about Jesus. Because it was destroying their business. If you remember, they turned all these people who turned to Jesus Christ, they turned away from the idols and their religious practices and all the other stuff they were involved in, and they turned and they followed Christ, and it was destroying their business, and it was destroying their program. So they were disgusted with these guys, and they were going to follow them everywhere to try to somehow or another keep people from hearing about Jesus. And so what eventually happened was Timothy made his way to Athens, and when he got to Athens, Paul said to him, Look, you know what? I want to know what's going on in Thessalonica. I want to know what's going on with those Thessalonians, those new believers there, because I know they're going through the same persecution because they were persecuted as we were being run out of town, and I want to know what's happening. And so he says, I want you to go back there, and I love the phrase that we see. So when we can stand it no longer, you know, when I'm reading through this note, and it was like, I, I just can't stand it. I mean, you put yourself in the position of a parent. It's like, hey, I can't stand this anymore. My son or daughter's away at college or they're away and they've moved out and they're in their own place or whatever it is and it's like you're there and you're, you're thinking of them and you want to know what's going on and you've been holding off because you don't want to be a Badinsky mom and you, know, you, you want to let them go and you don't want to be bothering them and you don't want to be trying to run their life and you want to give them the freedom to go ahead and grow on their own and you want to do all these things but yet I can't stand it. I need a call. Don't call. I, I gotta call. Don't call. I gotta go. Don't go. All right, what am I gonna do? I'll send someone else. I got it. I'm going to send somebody else. And when we look at this, you know, you look and you go, well, you know, what was involved in in Paul's motivation behind all this? There's three factors that I can see as we go through this. The first one is the most obvious one. 
So, so when we can stand it no longer, uh, the New American Standard has this word. It says, therefore, when we could stand it or endure it no longer, therefore connects what we talked about the last time we were together. And what did we talk about? It was that Paul said, you know what? I've been separated from you, but I love you and I'm con- concerned for you and I want you to know that. So the first motivation or the factor that's involved in sending this helper to him was that Paul was concerned about these people. He genuinely cared for them. He loved them, and he wanted what was best for them, and he wanted to know what was going on. It connects that thought. He expresses his great love for these believers, and it was because of this love that he had for them that he couldn't help himself. I just got to do it. I got to do something. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, by show of hands, have ever witnessed a childbirth? Wow, look at this. That's a lot. Now, let me ask you something. Have you ever been able to forget it? No. There's no way. You cannot witness a childbirth and ever forget it. You can't witness a childbirth and ever be the same ever again. I got to see two of our children. The first one was born in the archaic days back in Pennsylvania where you sat out in the lobby with the rest of the guys. Smoking a cigar. Watching the game or something. So it was like, hey, is she done in there yet? That was then. That was then. This is now. Although sometimes the old days aren't that bad. (laughs) Only because I saw two of our children born. The first one, everything went according to everything that that was discussed. It was like you go to all the childbirth classes and they teach you and they walk you through it and everything goes on. And it's like, okay, she hates me now, but that's called transition. All right. (laughs) So you're all ready for these things, right? Look what you did to me. That's okay. I didn't take it personal. Um, So that one, went, that one went great. Well, the next one doesn't go as smooth. And it was like, there was a lot of turmoil, there was a lot of tribulation, there was a lot of intense situations going on. And uh, so anyway, make a long story short, it was, a, it was a rather rough childbirth, and you're standing in there, and you're helpless, and you're just going, Lord, this wasn't like it was the last time. And uh, it shouldn't be this way, but it was this way. And, and there's blood squirting all over the place, and it's kind of getting nasty. And, and uh, meanwhile, I got that bead of sweat that's coming on my head, you know, that, that one that you get, and I've had it before, and I know where it's all heading. And as uh, soon as everything was okay with the baby, I started walking down the hallway, and all I heard is this, someone get him, get him, get him, get him. Someone get him, get him, get him, get him. Someone get him, get him. And uh, eventually I made my way back to the labor room and uh, lay down. But... Uh, You know, hey, don't ever, guys, don't ever let anyone tell you we don't have it rough. (laughs) Anyway, where where am I going with all this? Okay, now, okay, now you've seen this, right? You've seen this miracle. You've seen this birth. You're never going to be the same again. Now, let me ask you something. When was the last time, as a parent, you saw this miracle of birth take place, and you go like this? Well, we did our part. Kid, you're on your own. You know, we were instrumental. God used us to get you here. You're on your own. No one says that. What do you want to do as a parent? Man, you just went through this ordeal together. You went through all this tribulation and and distress together. And they even use words like that. The baby's in distress. You go through all that together, and it's like, hey, you know what? We're going to love this child. We're going to protect this child. We want to nourish this child. We see what a miracle this child is in our life. And you know what? I want to be there for this child. 
I want to be there for the, this child or these children, and I want to make sure I take care of them as long as it is and, and within my responsibility to do that. I walk away from these kids? Are you kidding me? Now I'm thinking about all this, and I'm thinking, man, you know what? You know what? There's even a greater miracle than that. Now let me ask you another question. How many of you have ever seen a spiritual birth? Oh, not as many, huh? That is the greatest miracle that you'll ever see. You know why I call it the greatest miracle? Because every one of us go through physical birth. But not every person will go through a spiritual birth. That's an even greater miracle. Because we all come into the world the same way. We're all born physically. But not all of us will be born spiritually. Even though it's God's desire that none would perish and that all would come to a saving knowledge of who Christ is and that we would all be born again spiritually, come to know God by believing in Jesus Christ. But not every person will do that. Why? Because there will be people who reject Him. There will be people who say, I can get to heaven my own way, and I don't believe what God says about Jesus Christ. I believe all religions lead to heaven, even though Jesus himself said, you can't get there but through me. There's no other name under heaven by which man must be saved. And when a person puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and they're born again spiritually, it's the greatest miracle that any person will ever witness in their lifetime. Last weekend, we had friends that were out who we got to witness this spiritual birth in their life. Big, rugged, tough guy. And we're sitting and we're watching this football game and we're talking. And this guy's about 6'4", about 320 pounds, the biggest, toughest looking dude that you'd ever see. And we're sitting and we're talking. And he says this. He goes, you know, they really should be paying college football players to play football. He goes, if you think about it, look how much money universities are making off college athletes. He said, you know, and the problem is even if you get a full scholarship, he goes, all that it does is pay for books and tuition. It gives you room and board, which means you can eat at the cafeteria, but you never have another penny in your pocket. And if you come from a poor family, inner city family, and you don't have anybody that can send you 100 bucks or 200 bucks a month or a week or whatever it is, you have absolutely no money. And here's what he said. He goes, you know what? If I would have been paid just a little bit when I was going to pit, he goes, I wouldn't have had to rob all those people in my dorm." He goes, not only that, because, you know, I had closets full of medium shirts. <laughs> he goes, they put me in a medium shirt when I was born. <laughs> well, they don't wear a medium shirt. He goes, so and then he'd have garage sales to all the people in his dorm. And they'd come by and they'd go, hey, that's my shirt. And they'd look at him like, it is for $10. <laughs> and they'd be like this, and he'd be like this. <laughs> and I'm thinking... It's just a matter of fact. But you know what's so awesome about it? The same guy cheated on his wife. The same guy had a problem with drinking. The same guy robbed people, just assume, look at him. The same guy that if you gave him a dirty look, he'd just punch you out. The same guy was sitting there and as we were talking, you couldn't help but feel how much he loved Jesus Christ. And how much he just praised him that he wasn't like he used to be. And all these scripture verses kept coming through my head. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. <laughs> Old things pass away. All things become new. Here was a guy that was robbing dorms and beating people and doing drugs and cheating on his wife and having sex with anybody that would, who all of a sudden as he turns and he gives his, he gives his faith and trust to Jesus Christ, he turns from all of that and he starts to walk. After he stands, he starts to walk. 
in a manner that's worthy of the calling of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. That, as great a miracle as it was, watching my children be born, that is a miracle that I still can't comprehend or fathom in any way. That is the greatest miracle that any person can see on the face of the earth. You know, and I'm thinking about all this, and, and what, what's going on here is imagine yourself as the Apostle Paul being separated from a child like that. Linda and I spent many, many nights crying and holding each other as we watched people who we got to see come to know the Lord leave and to go back home wherever it was. I can relate to what he's saying. There are times I just can't stand it no more. You just got to pick up the phone or you got to send somebody to them and you got to be able to say, hey, how's it going? What's going on? How are you holding up in your new faith? What's happening in your life? See, Paul couldn't stand it anymore. I can't take this no more. See, love isn't some emotional you know, thing that we go through, a nice, warm, fuzzy, comfortable feeling that's around your heart. You know, love expresses itself. When you have a genuine concern for people, you seek the welfare of that other person. You can't help it. It takes action. People sit around and say, but if God loved me, he would do this for me. If God loved me, he wouldn't let this happen to me. Let me tell you something. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting love. We can never as people question the love of God for each or every, any one of us. God so loved that he gave. He was compelled to give. That's how much concern he had for every one of us, that he gave his only begotten son. He gave you his best. What do you think? If God loved you, he should give you a promotion at your job? If God loved you, he should take away some physical infirmity that you have? How does that compare to sending his son to die for you so that if you believed in him, you could spend eternity with him forever and ever? Amen. If God so loved you, the best thing he could do for you is allow whatever happens in your life to cause you to get down on your knees before him and say, God, I can't do this no more. I need you and I believe and I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Don't ever doubt God's love because God demonstrated his love for us and yet while we were still in rebellion against God, he sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins. Oh no, that's not a question of whether God loves us or not. That's a question of whether we'll receive his love. See, Paul, as a loving parent, was compelled to act. And this action would eliminate any question that they had in their mind about whether Paul really loved them or not. There are going to be people who say, Hey, man, if this Paul loved you so much, why is he in Athens? Why isn't he here? And they would bring all these doubts into their mind. Hey, Paul wanted them to know, even though I am absent from you, I am present with you, and I'm going to send a helper to you to help you understand how much I'm concerned for you. You know, this is a really good lesson for all of us in a pretty selfish generation. And that is that Paul so loved these people that he would risk everything to establish them or to build them up. Think about it. I mean, he so loved the Philippians that he was willing to stay here on this earth rather than go to heaven to be with Christ. If you remember in Philippians chapter 1, he said, hey, you know what? Uh, well, for me to die is gain. If I die, absent from the body, present with the Lord, if they want to kill me, that's great. But you know what? But because I'm so concerned for you, I want to stick around a little longer to make sure that you're established, that you're standing firm, that you're walking on their own, and eventually that you can run in your relationship with God. And then I know I've done what I'm called to do. 
That's what he did. A second factor that was involved in sending Timothy was Timothy himself. Look what he says. He says, we sent Timothy, which is interesting. Why Timothy? Of all the people that were with him, why did he decide to send Timothy? Well, you know what? Not every believer uh, is equipped to establish other Christians in the faith. You know, ideally, we should all be mature enough to help those around us to be established or to stand firm in their faith and to grow up in their relationship with God. But not, not every one of us can do that. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 5 for a second. The writer of the Hebrews just kind of lays it out. He said, hey, you know what? Not everybody is capable of helping others become established in their relationship with God, unfortunately. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, look at verse 11. See, concerning him, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since what? You've become dull of hearing. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is what? Still a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good from evil. Isn't that interesting? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? Here's the way it's supposed to work. When we turn from our past life and turn to God and receive Jesus Christ as Savior, and we begin to be established in our faith, and we begin to walk in the way that's pleasing to God, and eventually we start to run in a way that's pleasing to God. You know what's going to happen is, as we go along this way, and as we apply the things that we learn, we will become equipped to be able to help those who are just now way back here in the process of having just turned, they don't know what to do. And so as we're practicing what we say we believe, and as we're able to discern good from evil, we're able to discern the things that God wants us to do, we can take these people that are behind us and explain to them how they also should be imitators of us, who we are imitating someone ahead of us, and we all imitate Jesus Christ who gave us the perfect example of how to live a life pleasing to God, and we're all walking in the same footprints. But what happens to a lot of us is we turn and we walk toward God, and all of a sudden we start doing that little moonwalk thing. And, and the people behind us, we're knocking them over, and they have to come around us and walk in front of us. And while we should be out here ahead of them, we're not. The guy that I was talking about last week has only known the Lord for a couple of years, and I'll tell you what, he is about 1,600 miles ahead of people that I know who have known Christ for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. And I've got to ask the question, why? And the, and the answer is simple. Because he loves the Lord. The greatest commandment is that you love God. You put him first in your life, ahead of everything else in, in the world. And you know what? And when you do that, God honors that, man. And this guy is, as I read it in the Bible, I apply it in my life, and he's going on in this walk with the Lord. And you know what? That's the only thing that differs from him to these people that are doing the moonwalk, and the moonwalk people are doing this. Yeah, I see that that's what it says, but I still don't want to do that yet. He says, I see what it says. Well, I don't have a choice. <laughs> what else would I do? You know, there were people that were following Jesus as Jesus was explaining to them how hard it was to get into the kingdom of God. There were many who said, you know what, I, I don't want to listen to this anymore. And they all started and they turned and they walked away. They all walked away. And Jesus looked at his disciples and said, hey, you guys leaving too? What did he say? Where are we going? Where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. You speak the truth. We can't go anywhere else. Where are we going to go? And that's what he says that we should be able to discern good from evil, right from wrong, and do what's right in our life. 
Isn't that fascinating? Well, here's what we need to look at. Why did he send Timothy? Well, there's a couple of qualities that Timothy had that would also be uh, true of us to help others, and that's this. We sent Timothy, who what? Is our brother. Well, this may sound really obvious, but you know what? Timothy had given his life to Jesus Christ. He was sold out as a follower of Christ. And the first qualification of helping somebody else be established in their faith is, faith is, you've got to be sold out, man. You've got to be 100% convinced that what you, what you believe and who you believe is so right and so true that you can't wait to tell people around you. Timothy loved Jesus Christ and was sold out to him. He'd die for him in a second. He had no questions in his mind. There was no compromise that would be available. He, he, loved, he loved the Lord, and Paul said, that's the guy I want to send to help establish new believers. It scares me sometimes. I sit and I talk to people that, you know, they're in the religion business. They're in a religion business. They go and they're educated in religious schools and they go out and they produce a religious product and they go to a church to become a religious icon of some sort. And when you sit down and you talk to them, there's only one thing that's lacking in their life and that's this. A love for Jesus Christ. A love for Christ and the Word of God. They go about their business as if it was my business, a contracting business. It's amazing to me. Timothy wasn't like that. Man, this guy loved the Lord. And that's the first qualification. The second thing is this. Look, he was a fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, which means what? Hey, he was a servant. You need to be a servant. I'm telling you right now, you need to be a servant to help establish young people in their faith, young believers in their faith. You know why you need to be a servant? Because it's no different than a mom or dad changing diapers on an infant child. Because they can wear you out. They can wear you out. They have accidents all the time. These young believers have accidents all the time. And you're looking at them as an established Christian and you're saying, why are you still... See, a fellow servant understands the process of growth and goes back and walks alongside of them. And says, oh, you tripped and fell, let me help you out. Oh, oh, you do get in your shorts. <laughs> okay, go clean that up. And, uh, you know, and, and that's what you do. And that's what we have to understand. That's why he sent Timothy, and it's important that we recognize and understand it. Timothy was a team player. He was a fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ. Hey, and you know what else? Don't ever forget this. Timothy loved the word of God. Because when he went there, he told them and established them in the word of God. Isn't that interesting? The word establish is the same word that's used in Exodus 17, verse 12, where it talks about how Moses was praying for the Israelites in their battle, and he held his arms up to God, and as his arms were falling down, the Israelites would begin to lose the battle. And so as he raised his arms in prayer to God, the Israelites would begin to win again. So he had friends that came on each side of him and supported and propped his arms up because his arms were getting tired and he couldn't hold them up anymore. The word establish is the same word that's used there, to prop them up and to hold them up so that they'll be established and balanced in their walk with God. Isn't that amazing? That's what he did. He sent him back there to do it, help him hold him up. He says, and he did it by sharing the gospel with him. The third thing that we look at is this. He says, hey, you know what? Hey, not only was Paul concerned, and not only did he send Timothy because of Timothy's character, but he said that you know quite well that we were destined for them. What? He was talking about persecution. The church was in conflict. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you you'd be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Hey, you know what? We need to help one another be established in their faith because we're going to be persecuted for what we believe. It's amazing to me how naive we still are, even in our culture today where Christians are persecuted every time you turn around. Any other club can meet on a school and all of a sudden now it's a Bible club that gets thrown off. Why is that? Hey, because the truth bothers people. 
Let's face it, we're going to be persecuted. And you know what? I told you in advance, he says, so that you'd know that I knew what I was talking about, and it's come to pass. I like a guy we had in Bible study once. We were talking about, hey, what's your favorite Bible verse, blah, blah, blah. And a guy, a guy was from the South, and he said, man, my favorite Bible verse is, and it came to pass. He said, and it came to pass? That's your favorite Bible verse? Okay, would you want to explain it a little bit? He goes, yeah, and it came to pass. You know, every problem I ever have in life, you know what? It was there, and they came, and it went. So when I'm struggling with my knee injury, hey, it'll come to pass. When you're struggling on your work with your job, it'll come to pass. When you're struggling with your children, it too will come to pass. When you're struggling in your marriage, it will come to pass. As long as you stay focused and do what's right before God, hey, all these troubles, they've come not to stay, but they've come to pass. I like that. So take that home with you if you haven't heard anything else I said. Hey, number two. Number two, he wrote him a letter. He wrote him a letter. Now that's an interesting idea. He wrote him a letter. Timothy has just come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and your love. So when, when Paul sent Timothy, he sent him with a letter. And the letter is the one that we're reading right now and that we're studying right now, this first letter to the Thessalonians. Now what's interesting is this. Not every letter that Paul wrote was the Bible or the Word of God. But this letter was inspired or literally God breathed and God moved through Paul or his scribe and he wrote these words to the Thessalonians and said, hey, this is the word of God. He wrote him a letter, which is really important. Why? Because the best way to establish new Christians in the faith is to help them stand, or to help them stand firm is what? To share with them the word of God. That's called Bible study. This is amazing to me. I want to ask you a question. How much time do you spend studying the Word of God? Some, folks, listen, some things are never going to change. This is one of them. If you want to be established in your faith, there's no way you're going to be established or stand firm in your faith. There's no way you can walk with the Lord. There's no way you'll run with endurance unless you're spending time studying the Word of God. I know people have Bible studies once every other week, and even that's a pain to get to. Oh, it's Sunday morning, and that's hard to get to. Everything's hard to get to. Everything crowds out our time. I'm just so busy. And that's why you're so weak in your faith. And that's why you can't help establish new believers. And that's why you haven't seen the miracle of someone give their life to Jesus Christ. But when we're in the physical world and I ask a question, everybody's hand goes up. In the spiritual world, you ask a question and it's like, oh, I've never seen that. I've heard about it, but I've never seen it. Why? Because we don't spend any time studying the Word of God. It's not that hard. The Word of God is what penetrates the hearts and minds of people so that they will understand the truth of what's said about Jesus Christ. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When people hear the Word of God and the truth of who Jesus is, the Spirit of God goes out, penetrates their hearts, they receive Jesus Christ as Savior, and guess what? And the same Word of God that saves us is the same Word of God that sustains us. The same Word of God that commands us is the same Word of God that enables us. For example, when Jesus said to Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth, the commandment or Word of God also gave him the power and strength to be able to come forth. When he said to the man who was withered and said, I command you to pick up your pallet and walk. God did not command him to do something that God then did not enable him to do. 
He wasn't trying to trick him. He said, pick up your pallet and walk. And the guy picked up his bed and he walked. Why? Because God's commandments are also God's enablements. If God commands us to do something, he also enables us to do it by giving us the strength to do it if we just give him our will and are willing to do it. God cannot ever ask you to do something that he knows you cannot do because it would make God a liar. And in him there is no darkness at all. When God commands you and says to stop doing something, all he needs you to do is say, okay, Lord, I surrender my will to yours, and he enables you to stop doing what he's commanded you to do because his commandments are also his enablements. Isn't that awesome? You get people all around saying, but I can't stop doing that. No, you can. You just don't want to. If God says stop it, he'll give you the ability to stop it. If God says to start it, he'll give you the ability to start it. It's a matter of are you just willing to obey? If you love him, what? You obey his commandments. It's amazing to me. The word of God saves us. The word of God sustains us. The word of God is what brings about growth. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word so that in it you'll grow in respect to your salvation. You know, here's a fascinating thought. I ran into this, and I love this little saying, but it, it goes like this. Don't try to teach a pig to sing. It will only frustrate you, and it will annoy the pig. Now you're going, what are you talking about? Here's what I'm talking about. Don't try to teach non-Christians how to live a Christian life. It will only frustrate you and it will annoy them. You tell them about Jesus Christ and when they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then you teach them how to live a life that's right before God and then they have the power and the ability to do it. Because now God's commandments are his enablements because they've got the power of the Holy Spirit within their life to be able to give them the strength to do what God's called them to do. All scripture is profitable, meaning that it has a positive bottom line. All scripture is profitable. And this is what he said. He goes, I wanted to make sure that, hey, you know what? It was a profitable experience coming to you. For teaching tells us what is right. For reproof tells us what is not right. For correction tells us how to get right. For instruction that tells us how to stay right. Think about that. In this complex world that we live in, my world is very simple. And it all boils down to this. What does God, in his word, have to say about this situation? Isn't that amazing? All the complexities of life and all the choices that we have to make, you can simplify your life by just getting to the point where you ask yourself the question, what does God have to say about it? And whatever God says, that's what I'll do. Case closed. The bumper sticker, God said it, I believe it. Case closed. There's no discussion, there's no debate. First Thessalonians is an amazing letter, it's saturated with Bible doctrine. Every major doctrine of the faith is touched in these brief chapters. It's an amazing thing. Think about this for a second. Paul sent to them the word of God to establish them in the faith. He didn't send them the most popular opinion or good moral advice of the day. He sent them the timeless, relevant word of God, and he realized its source, its power, its strength, and its truth. Man, you know what? I'm, let me just get this off my chest for a second. Do you mind? <laughs> I'm reading through the paper recently, and I almost got sick to my stomach. I came across an advertisement of a local church that advertised at their worship services to come and hear Maya Angelo, the poet, speak. That got me sick. And I was even made sicker after I read the follow-up article that I read. The poet reminds worshipers 
of needs that all human beings share. It's a worship hour. Her elegant words find harmony in race, class, and gender. Human beings are more, unlike, are more alike than unlike, she told two congregations filled with people. They have the same basic needs. Every human being wants to work to be paid a little more than he's worth. Everyone wants healthy children and safe streets. Everyone wants someone to love and has the unmitigated gall to ask to be loved in return. Everyone wants to go to church once a week and have a party on Saturday night. To which I say, <laughs> what? Not everybody wants to go to church once a week. I mean, you go through this, and here's a guy who says, I stood in line because she helps people communicate with God. She goes on to say, you know what? Things are getting better. <laughs> Please, understand what I'm trying to say here. I don't care if she has a poet reading at the Rotary Club on a Wednesday, but when we advertise for people to come to hear someone speak, you know, the Apostle Paul came and he preached the Word of God. He told people what they didn't want to hear because they needed to hear it because it was the truth. We are not getting better, we are getting worse. There's nothing good in any of us. We're all sinners have fallen short of the glory of God. And when you hear this kind of nonsense that's being preached, for lack of a better word, from pulpits that are supposed to be entrusted with the word of God, I just get sick to my stomach and think, why do we do the things that we do? You know why we do the things that we do? Because we want to tell people what we think they want to hear. I read in the paper this morning about President Clinton addressing a homosexual group. To which I say, <laughs> why? Not, not because I have any hatred or I'm a homophobic or anything else, but because it represents the fact that we have become a country that's morally bankrupt and we will tell people what it is they want to hear. We will address people in the manner in which they want to be addressed. And God help us if the church begins to do the same thing. Because we have been entrusted with the greatest resource that mankind has ever had. And that is the, the, in, the infallible word of God. Because when the word of God goes out, it never comes back empty. And God help me if I ever get to the point where all I'm here to do is try to tell you what I think you want to hear to make you feel better about yourself. All I'm here to do is pick up the Bible and explain what it says and let God's Word work in your heart and your life so that you will become obedient to the things of God. The Word of God is what changes lives. You know, I have people come up all the time and say, hey, what's our next series going to be? You know what, I think, let me just give you this answer once and for all because here's what our next series is going to be. Uh, it's going to be something out of the Bible. <laughs> That's cool, huh? I mean, it just simplifies it. Hey, it's going to be something out of the Bible. All right? You want to bring somebody, they're going to hear something out of the Bible. They may not hear what they like, but I'll guarantee you this, they're going to hear the truth, and the truth will set people free. And I hope I can say it in a loving manner, and I hope that people aren't criticize, you know, don't criticize me because of the way that I say it, or even some of the stupid jokes that I tell and stuff like that. You know, try to get over all that, but just try to concentrate and focus on, you know what, here's how he comforted these believers in Thessalonica. He comforted them by sending them the word of God. I had a friend this last week who was going through a very difficult time. I, I had been thinking about him, and God put him on my heart. And you know what I did? I called him up and said, hey, man, call me back and leave me your fax number. He was out doing something. He called me back. I wasn't in. He left me his fax number. And you know what I sent him? I sent him a, a note. I sent him a letter. But it wasn't a letter. What it was was it was a note that said, hey, I've been thinking about you. I'm concerned with what you're going through. Hey, here's a couple of passages that you ought to look at and let God comfort his heart. That's the best letter you can send anybody. 
hey, you know, I'm reading through the Bible and God, you reminded me of someone and, and you know, I need to call him. Hey, I was reading through 1 Thessalonians and I thought about you. I was reading through 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which we'll talk about next time, and it talks about, you know what, comfort each other with these words. Why? Because people were dying and they were being left behind and they were hurting for these lost, the, the loved ones that they lost. And you know what God said? He said, hey, oh, hey, comfort them with these words. Why? Because God's words will comfort us when we need to be comforted. And God's words will afflict us in our comfort when we're doing what's wrong before God. We need to be people who are committed to the Word of God. Paul was. He sent him a helper. He wrote them a letter. And here's the last thing that he did. And don't ever, don't ever miss this point because this is incredible. The power of prayer. He prayed for him. 1 Thessalonians 3, 9-13, through 13, we read this. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we have in the presence of our God because of you? Hey, you know what? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may, be, that we may see you again. Parents of children who don't live under your roof anymore. And you can't stand the fact that they're not there, but you know that they have to be established on their own and walk on their own and eventually run on their own. What can you do? Hey, you can send someone to them sometimes just with a word of encouragement. You can write them a letter or a note and say, I've been, pray- you know, I've been thinking about you and, and here's something that God's impressed on me that I thought I might share with you and pick up your Bible and read this and let God begin to minister to them. But here's another thing you can do is pray for these kids. Pray for them. We've got people that were in Bible studies that are all over the country. We will never physically see them again. I'm convinced of that, this side of heaven. But you know what? I can pray for them when I'm driving down the street. I can pray for them when I'm sitting at home late at night. I can pray for them when I'm reading through the Bible. I can pray for them any time that they come into my heart and my mind, and I can pray for them. My problem is I don't know what to pray for them. So Paul gives us three things to pray. He says, number one, that, you may be, that we may see you again, which is a great prayer, but more importantly he says this, that we may supply what is lacking in your faith. Think about this. What a simple prayer. God, I just pray that my son or my daughters, my son-in-law, my grandson, my friends, the people in our Bible study, here's what I need to pray. God, that they would be mature in their faith. Like the Apostle Paul said, you know what, when I was a child, I thought like a child, I acted like a child, I spoke like a child, because I was a child. But when I grew up, I put away all these childish things, and I became mature, I became a man. We need to become men and women of God. So many of us, we're, we're 20, 30, 40 years in our, in our relationship with the Lord, and we're still babies. We haven't led anybody else to Christ. We haven't reproduced and allowed God to use us to share the gospel with anybody. We haven't built anybody up and established them and discipled them and helped them to walk in their faith. We haven't done anything. Why? Because we're still children in our faith. We need to become men and women of God who are stood firm on the Word of God, who are established in what we believe, who know what we believe and why we believe it, who then apply it in our life so that we're walking with the Lord and we're running with endurance the path that's set before us. That's what we need to be, to pray that they would become mature in their faith. He goes on in verse 12, and he says that, you know what, he wants to pray for them. What? That, uh, that their love may, might abound even more. May the Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord, look, make your love increase and overflow for each other and everyone else, just as ours does for you. What a great prayer for one another. So, you know, we need to be praying that we love people more, that we love people so much it's just overflowing, that anybody that comes in our path, whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's uh, wherever it is, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our church, we love people so much it's just overflowing. 
And when they come into our path, they get hit with a wake of love. Whoo! What a great prayer. We need to love one another more. And he goes on, he says, And may the Lord, may, may he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be what? Blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy ones. What's he talking about? That we would be holy in our lifestyle. That we would live lives that are pleasing to God. That's what we should pray. You know, as you go back through this passage, think about it. How, how important it is to care for new Christians. You know, leading someone to Christ while that's essential, that's not enough. You know, we need to help them, help them to, to become established in their faith. Because if they're not established, the, the minute that persecution comes or tough choices come along, then they're just going to fall away by the wayside. They won't be able to endure that persecution or that affliction. They're not going to be able to when they go off alone to college or off alone into their lives. They're not going to be able to stand on their own because they haven't been firmly established. And the minute the persecution or affliction comes because now they're going to, their faith's going to be put to the test, they're going to stumble and they're going to fall. And they're going to reap the consequences because of it. They'll fall when the persecution begins. Before we can walk, we must be able to stand firm. So what do we do to put all this together? Number one, be an encouragement and stand at his or her side as he matures in the faith. Be an encouragement, not a discourager. Shoot, you know what? People are going to make mistakes. They get years, some, some people have years and years of bad habits and a lifestyle that hasn't been pleasing to God. They put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we expect them to be 20 years into the growth process. And it's just not going to happen. They're going to stumble. They're going to fall. They're going to make mistakes just as your child does when he or she walks across the room for the first time. And I don't know any parent that picks that child up, puts them outside of their life and says, oh, well, you try to walk and you fell and I don't have time for you. But so many of us do it to new believers. Oh, you know, back doing what you used to do, I don't have time for you. Hey, you know what? Be there to encourage them and strengthen them, establish them. Be a godly example to them so they can follow in your footprints. Number two, make sure that you share the word of God with them. When they're going through a difficult time in life, don't tell them what you would do in that circumstance. You know what I like to do? Say, hey, you know what? Uh, read these three passages. Read these two passages. Look up this, you know, in your Bible. Uh, you read about it. You study it. You let God speak to you. And then we'll talk to you a little bit more about it. But I'm not going to tell you what to do. Because if I tell you what to do, you haven't learned anything. You haven't developed your relationship with God. You haven't established any of your own convictions yet. But I can point you to what the Bible has to say and see what God has to say. The third thing is we can pray for their faith to mature, that their love would abound, and that they would be holy in the way they live their life. Now, I'm sitting here and thinking about this, and you know what's amazing? That's what Paul did for the new believers at Thessalonica. And you know what? And it worked. Why not try it? Why mess with success? It works. Let's do it. Father, thank you for this time to be together again to study your word. God, may we be people that are established in our own faith and our own walk with you. May we be people that have a, just a sold-out love and passion for Jesus Christ and the word of God. May we be people who help to establish those around us, not only just sharing the gospel with them, to see them coming to a faith, uh, saving knowledge of faith in Christ, but to be there for them, to establish them, to build them up in your word, to watch them mature in their faith, to watch them walk on their own, and eventually to run the, the good, good race. God, we just thank you that you've entrusted us with the only resource that we need. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And we just praise you in Christ's name. Amen.